Well, there is a day that I will never forget. Because I was dressed in something way more expensive than I normally wear. And I was sweating even more than I normally do, if you can imagine that. And I had more eyes staring at me than I'd ever had up to that point in my life. And so I was trying to stand as tall as I could, keep my shoulders thrown back as far as I could, and figure out what to do with my hands. But there was one thing that I didn't even have to think about or try to do, and that was smile. Oh my goodness, there was a smile on my face so big and it felt like it had been there for so long that the muscles in my face were starting to ache, but I couldn't stop smiling. And then as I stood there smiling and sweating, the music began to soar and the back door of that auditorium swung open and I laid eyes on the most beautiful woman in the world. Dressed all in white. And I was not the only one that saw her either. Because at that very moment, every head turned away from me. And the crowd rose to its feet in unison. As Vicki Ann Dill was escorted down that long aisle to me by her father so that we could publicly declare our vows of commitment to one another in marriage. So what was that day all about and why was it even necessary? I mean, we'd already been dating. We had lots of the same friends. We'd already served on some of the same school committees so that we were hanging out together a lot and already enjoying a wonderful friendship. So why was that ceremony necessary. I'll tell you why. Because on September 27th, 1986, we took our relationship to a whole new level by stepping up and publicly committing to one another that we were no longer just going to hang out or date off and on. We publicly committed that we would be committed to each other and each other alone for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in riches. So that now, after 32 years, we have experienced the full spectrum of everything that we publicly promised we would be willing to walk through together. But now stay with me. What that means, to do that, we have both had to die to self along the way and move forward when we don't feel like it and move towards each other when we'd rather run away and swallow our pride when we want to bow up and cling to our rights and defend ourselves. So that now, after 32 years, how, here's how I describe it, after 32 years of this beautiful and oh so painful process, we have both been made more like 
Jesus in ways that I do not believe would have been accomplished if we just kept hanging out together, dating off and on, enjoying each other when it's easy, pulling away when it's hard. You say, Brad, are we headed into a new marriage sermon series? No. But we are headed into something very, very similar. A church family series that has to do with your relationship to Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And so that's why I'm talking about our 32-year-old marriage that's been filled with highs and lows, laughter and sorrow, deep hurts and great joys, fulfilled dreams and some shattered expectations, as well as some surprises along the way. But listen to me, mostly it has been filled with long seasons of ordinary, less than spectacular life together by the grace of God. And in the midst of that ordinary, less than spectacular life Together with God's grace, he has done an amazing work of transformation in and through each of us. I'm not the same. She's not the same by any means after 32 years. And I'm telling you this because Jesus calls the church his bride. His bride. And not just the church universal or global out there somewhere that the world and Christians love to talk about today ad nauseum. The local church that has a face and real people and a name and a location that's in your backyard or neighborhood. He calls that his bride. And the reason I believe God uses the metaphor of marriage for our relationship to the church is because there are a lot of similarities between marriage and the church. Think about it. Oh, it is so easy to think about loving a man or woman. Oh, to have a husband of my own who would cherish me, nurture me, lead me, serve me, protect me. To have a wife of my very own that responds to me, does life with me, Shares the burdens with me, joys with me. You know what's a lot harder? Some of you do. Loving a real one in real time for a lifetime. And so here's what I want you to understand. We got a lot of Christians today who think it's okay to just date the church. So they're hopping in and out of different churches, popping in and out, and just moving around, enjoying whatever it is they do like about certain churches. Oh, I love their Easter musical. Oh, I love their music. I love his sermons. I love their children's thing. There's a Jeep out the wall. I'll just have the best of the best of all these different churches without ever committing to any one local church for better. I like that. Or worse, I wish that wasn't what they, 
in sickness, there'll be some times it just seems kind of sick there. And in health, you go through seasons where this is great. In poverty and in riches. And trust me, being committed to one local church is much harder. But when you read your Bible, you'll see that it's also much better for accomplishing all that God intended to do in us through the church. You do realize men and women didn't think of the church. God thought of it. Just like God gave us marriage and it's hard, but it's good. God gave us local church and it's hard, but it's good. He had a thought. He had a design. He had an intent of what he meant to do through the church. And I believe it is best accomplished by choosing one local church for better or worse sickness or health poverty or riches so that's what we're going to dig into in this series where i'm going to start today by simply challenging you as we head into a new year challenging you wherever you are to consider joining one local church instead of just flitting in and out hanging on the edges, or even attending regularly, but never committing. And let me make a big disclaimer here too before I go any further. Please know, I love preaching about money and giving when we don't need it. And I've never preached about it when we needed more. God has always blessed us, so I can come right at you with what God's word says about it. Not because we need it, because you need to know it. And you need to be blessed by everything God's word teaches. I'm coming to you today. Please know, we're not having meetings saying, how can we get more people to come here? How can we get more on our roles? Let's boost our attendance roles and our membership roles this year. That is not the heart of this church. We're not trying to see how many people can we now say are members at Grace. Here is our heart. We do believe that what you see from the scriptures is that when people commit and join a local church, that is what actually leads to real spiritual growth and maturity. Not just head knowledge, I'm hearing some good sermons, I've made a few friends, and so that's why I'm bringing this to you. Because here's what we actually believe from the Bible that we'll get into some more in the weeks ahead. We believe that the Bible says that everyone who joins here, who officially says, you're my church, you're my leaders, I'm your sheep, We're gonna give an account for your souls. Hebrews 13, I'm not looking for any more of that than is necessary. It keeps me awake sometimes now knowing there's hundreds of people. I wanna know your name. I wanna pray for you. I wanna know how you're doing. I'm responsible to make sure you don't go off the rails. We're supposed to come alongside you. We're not trying to see how many more we can do that with, but we believe that's how people move towards real spiritual Maturity, so I'm bringing this to you. But here's something I want to address, an objection that comes up whenever you do begin to talk about not just attending or rumbling around, but joining, membership. Then an objection is is often, hey, I don't see that in the Bible. There's no command in the Bible to join a church. So let me answer that question first. Where do you see church membership commanded in the Bible, Brad? Short answer, look at me. Nowhere. Longer answer. You don't see it anywhere commanded, but you do see it explicitly assumed and demonstrated all through the book of Acts and the letters to the local churches of the New Testament. It is assumed 
and demonstrated all through those books. And it's especially noteworthy, the book of Acts. So there's books in the Bible that are books of beginning. Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a great book that's foundational where we learn what we need to think about gender and marriage and human beings and work and life origins. Guess what? The book of Acts is a book of beginnings. The church had just begun. Jesus died, rose again, ascended, said he would send the Holy Spirit. What happens next? What's the message What's his method? What's his means for reaching this world? He said he would. And when you look at the book of Acts, a book of beginnings, you see two themes, several themes. One of them's the Holy Spirit. One of them's that their message was a simple, bold message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you see over and over and over again, believers coming together and forming local churches with real leaders and structure. We've got a day that says, oh, I'm all about Christianity and Jesus and maybe even the church, but the church universal. It's the institutional organized church that's bad. You did not get that from the Bible. They had real structure. They had real leaders who had real names in real cities, and they were huddled up with other real Christians from the very beginning. This is not a new modern thing that happens that was bad. You see that from the beginning. Look at the book of Acts and you'll see that, number one, they had a count of who was in the church. It's apparent that they had a count of who was in the church. Just two places in the early chapters of Acts. Acts 2.41 says, And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Somebody was counting. Somebody was taking heads. How, How many people today? Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase says it this way. That day about 3,000 took him at his word. And were signed up. They said, me too. I want in. I want to be a part of this new church in Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem. I'm in. Just a few verses later it says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now it's interesting. The Bible doesn't teach this and we're not a church that teaches it. Never has God been about. How big of a crowd can I get? How many people can we just get here by making the message easy and the expectations easy and it'll just be shallow and so it's interesting, you only get to Acts chapter five. When you see in Acts chapter five, as this new church was exploding with growth, the Holy Spirit kills Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife. Praise God this didn't happen with our special offering. Killed them because they sold a piece of property and came to the church and pretended to give a different amount than what they actually sold it for. Holy Spirit killed them. No surprise, word spread through the community and it rocked the community who said, oh my goodness, this is serious Business and it caused everyone to pause and not just frivolously and thoughtlessly jump in and associate themselves with this new movement. Listen to what it says in Acts 5 13, 14. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Two things are going on there's fear and concern and seriousness now that slowed them down, but it didn't keep. God from bringing people in because look at the next verse nevertheless more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number but it was a serious thoughtful careful decision 
Am I going to be a part of this? In fact, in the original Greek there in Acts chapter 5, the word that Dr. Luke uses. So the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, who was a traveling companion of Paul. And Luke recorded what was going on while Paul did ministry. Luke chose this Greek word for the word joined there. It's a Greek word that literally means to glue or cement something together. The strong language indicates membership, commitment, official, not just some overgrown Bible study where they're just in and out and we're not sure who's here. But as you keep reading on into the letters of the apostles to the local churches, here's what you also see, particularly with Paul. Paul refers repeatedly to those who are inside the church and those who are out. There was a clear sense of who's in and who's out. Let's be honest, when you just attend every now and then, or like every six weeks, or you come for a little while, and you're gone for two years, and then you're back a little while, that isn't a strong sense. Are you here? Are you in? Am I supposed to pray for you? Am I supposed to be aware of what's going on in your life and be there when you need me? I don't know. That may be a situation where you're just hearing some good preaching and teaching, yay. But that's not what God intended for believers for real spiritual growth. They knew who was in. They knew who was out side the church. For the sake of time, I've listed them in your bulletin and I won't read them off. But you can see that Paul in multiple places to multiple local churches uses this terminology of those inside and those outside of the church. But let me give one more observation that points in the direction of official church membership. It's this, their ability to put someone out, church discipline, to put someone out of the church assumes presupposes an official sense of who has already chosen to belong. You can't put someone out if they never chose to officially belong. And we're gonna have a whole message on it later, so I won't say much more, but church discipline that you see later in the letters where they say, if this person is divisive and will not settle down, separate, put them out. If this person is sleeping with his father's wife, I'm not making this up, this is 1 Corinthians 5, Don't let that keep going on and he won't repent. He says he's a believer and he's a member of your church. That's a horrible testimony. Put him out, put him out. The fact that they were able to put people out and practice church discipline presupposes they knew who had chosen to belong. But here's where I wanna focus our attention today. I wanna answer the second question that still might be rumbling around in your mind. Okay, Brad, all right. Maybe the New Testament really teaches membership and maybe the book of Acts had even started that way, but so what? Why should I actually join a local church? Why? Why not just loosely attend different churches and hop around to different churches like old country buffet, taking the things I like and leaving the Brussels sprouts behind, right? What's wrong with that? And here's what I sometimes even hear, and this sounds so spiritual. Brad, wouldn't it keep my church life fresh and exciting? There's not the danger of boredom and settling in or getting bitter or or, or tired of these people. Wouldn't it keep my church life fresh and exciting as well as free from the danger of boredom if I just keep shuffling around and keep it fresh? Here would be my answer to that. And I hope it doesn't offend you. Actually, I don't care if it offends you. 
because I think it's sticking with the metaphor that I didn't choose to use today, but this God's metaphor of marriage and local church bride. Marriage and local church bride. Here would be my answer to that. Wouldn't that keep it fresh and exciting and free from the danger of settling into boredom? The hopping around, picking and choosing approach to church is a lot like married people who say, oh, we're gonna practice an open marriage. You ever heard of that? We're still gonna let each other have sex with other people. Even, you know, keep it creative. Maybe a threesome, foursome, bring your friends. We're just gonna do these things and she can go to clubs still and I can go to clubs still and we can meet people and hook up with people and sleep with people and we won't just settle into this boredom of same person, same old, same old. It'll keep our marriage exciting and fresh and alive. Now, I wish I was making this up. I'm not. People do this. People promote doing this, write about doing this, and counsel other people to do this. Does it work? Horrible, destructive, awful. Why? Because God thought of marriage, God thought of local church bride, and has a design for it. God never intended for marriage to work that way. The best marriage is Two people, one man, one woman, who commit themselves to each other and each other alone. Through the good, through the bad, through the exciting, through the dull. And what they discover over time, they begin to discover what real love and intimacy and maturity looks like. So let me give you some reasons for settling down with the bride of Christ and choosing one local church. And again, let me say, would not hurt my feelings if next week we have 200 or 300 less people. Not because you chose to give up on church, but because you got serious about my message and said, all right, I'm never going to join here. I like this, but I don't like all that. I need to find myself a local. If I found out Florence Baptist just boosted by 50, 60, seven hills, crossroads, there are other good churches. I'm challenging you to choose one and it doesn't even have to be this one, but choose one because I think you will grow spiritually far more and you'll be in alignment with what God intended to do in your life through the local church. So let me give you some reasons for doing this. Number one, Joining a local church makes you a part of what God has been doing from the very beginning. This is what God has been doing from the very beginning. It's not a new thing. The word church is used 110 times in the New Testament. And 93 of those references are to a specific local church that had a city that it was located in and had real elders with names and real Christians who had committed to those Christians in that location and for reaching unbelievers around them. 93 of the 110 references to church are to a local church, whereas we've got Christians today blogging and writing and talking about the universal church, the global church, the universal church ad nauseum, and there's like 13 references to that. God wanted to draw your attention to real local churches in cities with real people and leaders and people that gets real messy and can be real discouraging, but real growth happens there. 
you're going to be a part of what God's been doing from the beginning. When you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Acts is a history. It's a history book showing us the spread of Christianity across the known world. And you don't have to say, well, how did they do it? Was it, you you see exactly how they do it. It was the spread of Christianity across the known world through the start of local churches. Wherever they went, they started local churches and raised up elders, real people and leaders to shepherd those people while they did evangelism and loved each other and forgave each other and practiced real hospitality That was the spread of Christianity from the very beginning. You're getting in on what God has been doing. Number two, joining a local church boldly identifies you with Jesus. We live in a day where it'd be great for people to know, oh, you're a Christian? You are saying, I am a Christian and I'm aligned with a local group of believers. I am a Christ follower. I'm not just floating around out there somewhere. You think about it. Membership still matters today. Let's not act like it doesn't. Membership to the local church may be out of vogue in our culture and with Christians today, but people still get excited about membership for so many other causes, do they not? Oh my goodness, there are Jeep clubs, model toy train clubs with adult men in them, wine clubs, and on and on and on. I could go clubs, 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 clubs. Why? Because of something about the human heart, folks. Here's what's true about us. When you're passionate about something, whether it's Mustang cars or model trains or you name it, when you're passionate about something, you want to be joined together with others who share that same passion and you want to talk about it more than others would want to hear about it. But when you get with them, they're like, yeah, bring it. Whereas your normal friends are like, dude, if you say one more thing about a toy train, I'm just gonna throw up. But you can get with them and just toy train it all day long. You drill into the particulars and depths of that subject because you both love it. A local Jeep club. We got more than a half a dozen of them in Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati. A local Jeep club might have over 1,500 members and they host parties, trail runs, cleanup days, have a website, places to blog pictures and share Jeep tips with one another. Now don't hear me saying there's anything sinful about that. There's not. Do hear me saying it's wrong to act like we shouldn't have that same kind of enthusiasm, commitment, and involvement with a local church. It's just like those of you when we talk about expressive worship and I'm like, and you're like, ah, that's just not who I am. And then I see you at the Bengals game on the big screen (laughs) over a 39 yard run by Mixon. Guess what? Oh, but it is who you are in certain settings, just not church. Gotcha. We still want to align ourselves together with other people that have the passion for what we have the passion for. Why not church? Why not the bride of Christ? Why not the local church? Number three, joining a local church moves you out of self-centered isolationism and into sacrificial love like nothing else. Oh my goodness, making a commitment to one local church family is one of the best ways that you could move out of self-centered isolationism, which I hope you realize is one of our most tenacious 
ingrained sinful tendencies with tentacles that run so deep in us, it is hard to shake on your own. And so God gave us the local church to help us put to death that sinful tendency of self and isolation and having it my way. Oh, you might think it's easier to be holy when no one else is around to frustrate your preferences, right? When I was single, I had a full head of head, hair, full head of head, full head of hair. And I played guitar. I had margin in my life. I'd walk out into the woods with my guitar and my Bible and my hymnal and just sing for hours to Jesus and pray and quote scripture. I'm not saying it was wrong. Here's what I am saying. I thought I was really mature and loving and Christ-like. And then I got married. I'm serious. I found out I'm not that loving. I love people who do what I want. I love people who don't get in my way. I love people who don't frustrate my schedule. I love, I love me. I could have sang in the woods with my guitar till Jesus came and been about that deep. Oh my goodness, it exposed in me just how short and shallow my love really is. You might think it's easier to be holy when no one else is around. That is a fake, untested holiness, my friend. Because isolation only breeds deceitfulness, deception about how mature and loving we really are. Real maturity, listen to me, real maturity is forged in the midst of relationships that are not all easy and do not all go your way. That's why as you look for this local church, if you think we're not it, please don't look for, I'm trying to find a church that's filled with people like me. I want everybody to make the same school choice as me. I want everyone to have the same view about alcohol as me. I want everyone to think the same thing politically as me. I want, 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 bad idea. Because even if you find that one that's all homeschooled, they'll still fight over what kind of plaid skirt and what kind of Latin and what, you know, they're gonna fight anyway over the particulars of that because we're all sinners. There will not be this sweet unity and God intended for there to be diversity. Why? So that there'd be rub and you'd say, oh my goodness, you love Jesus, but you think that? And then you realize, I think they do. And if Jesus loves them, I'm supposed to too. Whew, Wow. And there begins real spirit. See, when you check out on church and you just meet in coffee shops with people that don't annoy you, and you say, I've got good Christian friends and I listen to messages I love, that's easy, my friend. You are shallow and immature. The local church is where God intended it to be a greenhouse that exposes our true condition And then gives us a place to practice unselfish love and to practice what it means to prefer someone that you would never have chosen to be around. And there'll be people in the church like, I would not choose you as a friend, dude, dad. Like, And there they are. They're in your church. And it's supposed to be that way. Because God intended to grow us and make us more like Jesus. So let me ask you a question as we head into a new year. Wherever you are on the spectrum, do you think you are spiritually mature and loving? To what degree do you think you are spiritually mature and loving?
And I would say to you, and I hope you are making progress somewhere along the way, if you've not done so yet, and you want to see that accelerated, join a local church. Doesn't have to be this one. Join a local church, my friend. A specific one with a name. And commit yourself to loving that saved group of sinners. Not for three weeks. Not for six months. But for years. Now I will allow, I'm a pastor, so unless they kick me out, I decide whether I'm going to stay or not. I know it's for you guys, your job sometimes change you. Things change, seasons of life, what's being offered that might be best for your kids. Don't hear me saying you should never change churches. I even believe that God kind of does something. One church just has a certain thing that they're really good at and you needed it during that season of your life and now he's done that and he might want to use you in another church to spread that or something else you need. I will allow. So I'm not trying to say if you ever leave Grace Fellowship, you're a sinner. You got to stay here for life. You're mine. And here comes the grape Kool-Aid right out back. That's not what I'm saying. But I will say somewhere in between hopping around and just changing all the time and never landing and never committing. God intended. And, and I hope you know, I'm trying to practice what I'm, preach here, what I'm preaching here today by staying in the same church. I hope this doesn't offend you. Again, I don't care. It's like, I'm not still here because you're so easy to love. I'm not here because I've never had my feelings hurt or felt misunderstood or felt attacked. Not at all. I'm not even here because I never wanted to leave. I have wanted to leave you. (laughs) Fling my ring back and hit the bar church scene. But I stayed. I did not have God's release. I'm staying. I've only been in two churches my entire ministry. 10 years in South Carolina and now 23 years here. Only because, I only left over there because I truly believed, like sometimes he calls you away to be a part of another church, that he was calling me specifically not to leave because I hated it, but to be a part of a new work and do something different. And I came here. The average tenure for a pastor in America is three years. I've got friends my same age. We all graduated Bible college. They're on their seventh, eighth, ninth church. Why do pastors leave? It's not a mystery, folks. It's the same reason you leave. They get hurt. They're people, folks. They're real people. They get hurt. Their wives get hurt. They get disappointed. They feel misunderstood. They don't feel appreciated. They feel like it's so hard. They feel like they're being attacked and criticized more than encouraged. On and on I could go. And so they see someplace where it looks like the grass is greener and it will be better. And they go there only to find out after they get there. You can do some cookouts on some weekends with the search team and think, oh, yes, these people get it. They love me. We're aligned. Same goals, vision. And they get there and they find that there are sinners in that church that are just as hard to love. And then it repeats itself. So I've just decided to love the same sinners. I, I've just, here's what I've decided. I'm going to do what Ario Speedwagon sang about. I'm going to keep on loving you because it's the only thing I, not really, want to do. I don't want to sleep. I just want to keep on loving you. There's a verse that talks about some of you being like a grass all cold, a snake in the grass all cold up and hissing. Some of you have hissed at me through email. 
face to face. I'm gonna love you anyway. Yeah. I'm bringing the love. Bringing the love right here. Because, listen, without reservation or hesitation, you know I love to read books. I love to pray even. I love to worship. I pray. I read my Bible. I worship. And those things I know have shaped me and made me more like Jesus. But folks, without hesitation, I can tell you hands down, what has made me more like Jesus more than anything else is staying married to the same woman for 32 years and staying as the pastor shepherd with the same local church for 23. That has made me more like Christ and has exposed me and taught me my great need to grow and be humbled and to love more than anything else. And it's not just true of me. It would be true of you, the local church. Number four, that is why joining a local church, folks, most Christians know the right answer. If I say, do you wanna grow spiritually? Yeah, it'd be dumb to say, nah, not interested in that. But here's how I'm wording this. Joining the local church says that you are serious about spiritual growth. It's one thing to say you want some of that. Well, what are you doing about it? See, here's what happens. When you join a local church, it moves your desire for spiritual growth out of fuzzy land into specifics on two levels. Because here's what happens. When you join a local church, you are choosing to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders for your care. And you are choosing to commit to loving and investing in a specific group of believers around you. You don't have to say, well, who should I love? Who should I forgive? Who should I show mercy to? Who should I serve? Right there, those people. See, what, we're gonna get into it more, so I won't unpack it much. But you see in Hebrews 13, it says to every believer, obey and submit to your spiritual leaders who shepherd your soul. If you haven't joined a church, who are you submitting to? Who are your spiritual leaders that you are accountable to and are submitting to? And you make it very hard for us. First Peter 5 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, especially in a church our size, folks. For me to know who is among us, I'm sorry, I love you all. I try to learn all your names. I hope you haven't ever since I walk up to you and say, are you a member? Nope, don't wanna talk to you. I just walk around talking, loving, praying. But I do sleep better knowing I am not truly accountable for every single person here. I am accountable for those who took the time to prayerfully consider and say, yes, this is my church. I'm accountable to make sure, are you growing? Are you in a small group? I'm praying for you by name. Are you struggling? Is there areas that you're hurting? Where can I come alongside you? How can I help you? It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We don't know who's among us. Who really is here saying, I'm at Grace Fellowship. I need your care. I need your shepherding. I need you in my life. I've committed to this. Very helpful on both levels for leaders and for people. We'll talk about it some more in the weeks ahead. But finally, joining a local church says, oh my goodness, that you believe that Jesus' promise about the church is still greater than all the problems you will find in it when you get there. The same thing is true about marriage, right? I love comparing this back and forth because I've tasted both for several decades now. Think about it. 
do you not find yourself sometimes, and don't look at me like, no, I've never thought that. In your marriage, like, this is so hard. How could this be God's idea? If I didn't know this was of God and his design, you'd say, oh, my goodness. First three years of our marriage, I ran out and bought a book called The Incompatible Couple. I know there's a Holy Spirit, but this is never going to work. This is so hard. I want my music loud. Like, hit me in the chest with it, baby. She wants it off. Just on and on I could go. I was like, what in the world? Folks, marriage is good and it's God's design and it's hard because it rubs you and breaks you down and changes you to be more like Jesus. Local church is good and it's God's design, but it's hard and it has rub and it breaks you down and it changes you and makes you more like Jesus. When you join a local church, instead of saying, oh, I'm done with the church, I don't need the church, oh, it's just filled with problems and sinners and people. And when you join a local church, you're saying, I believe that Jesus' promise about the church is still greater than all the problems that I'll see and experience when I get there. Which, by the way, you're part of the problem. As a sinner. But to do that, you gotta take Jesus at his word when he said in Matthew 16, I will Build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the reason he could make such a bold promise, I'm gonna build my church, was because he knew that he was going to purchase that church, his bride, with his own blood and then launch her into this broken, dark, messed up world as his main means of rescuing it and redeeming it. You say, oh my goodness, if the hope of our world is the local church, there is no hope. If that's the way you're talking, you are offending the bridegroom. Imagine if you talked like that about my wife in front of me. I'd smack you. We got Christians running around talking about Jesus's bride as if she's a hag. Until he's done with her, you shouldn't be done with her. Until he stops loving her, you shouldn't stop loving her. He's not on plan B. He hasn't changed his mind. He said, I'll build my church. And he gave his blood for the church. And he said, church, local churches, is how I'm gonna bring redemption and reconciliation to a lost, broken world. That's why the apostle Paul said what he did to the elders in Ephesus as they wept together on the beach and were saying goodbye. Paul said to the elders there in Acts 20, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. Shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Local church may not look special to you. Local church may look problematic to you. It's precious to him. He bought it with his own blood. He was talking about the local church there in Ephesus, not just some ideal or dream version of a church. I've read many of Donald Miller's books, starting with Blue Like Jazz, and have really appreciated him. He's a guy that is real and hungry for real spirituality in his life. I appreciate that. I've even benefited from his critiques of the local church. That's good for me. It's good to hear what someone's saying about what are the problems, what are the ways that we've failed. I have benefited But listen to him, I cannot, I cannot go with him now 
as he's come out and said, you know what? I'm to the point in my Christian life now that personally I have little or no need for the local church. I can do better without it. Donald Miller did not get that from the Bible. And it's interesting. It's telling, I think, that one of his earliest books that he first wrote was about finding God out on the highway. He and a friend just packed up their car and hit the road on this adventure to find God and develop real spirituality. Because in the book he says his local church and his pastor were just not cutting it and just did not understand the longings that he had for real spiritual depth. And he's a great writer. Oh my goodness, he can tell a great story. I always enjoy reading him. But folks, think about it. It might sound courageous and adventurous to pack up your car spiritually and hit the road and find God for yourself out there on the road. But I don't think that that is what God prescribes in his word for real spiritual growth. And I don't think it's actually as spiritual or courageous as it first sounds. Think about it. Going away is easy. Again, the analogy of marriage, right? I never counsel couples to separate. If there's abuse, then yes, for safety. But to make that marriage better, absolutely not. I've never seen separation lead to reconciliation. It's always a first step towards divorce because now I'm in my own apartment. She's not in my face. I'm not dealing with this stuff. I should have done this forever ago. It's easy to go away. You wanna know what's hard? You want to know what is more courageous and will grow you faster spiritually? Unpack your spiritual car. Join a local church, a specific one. If not this one, then choose a good one. And lay down all your expectations and dreams and selfish desires and begin by God's grace to love and serve the people in that church, not another one, that one, even when it's not easy to love certain ones and even when it's hard to serve certain ones, I'm challenging you this year to consider joining. In other words, I'm saying, stop dating the church. Put a ring on it. Say I do to one local church this year. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, watch what God will do. Not in a weekend, not in three months, but over a long season of what can feel very ordinary, sometimes mundane, less than spectacular, a couple of great sermons, a few bunts, songs that I love, some songs I wish we never sang, people I love sitting next to, people I wish I never had to see again. Watch what God does in the context of a local church and commitment for better or worse. In sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty. And if you wanna consider this one being that one, please know just like I wouldn't say to somebody, hey, quit sleeping around and just marry somebody. But never counsel that way. Make an informed decision. That's why we always say, oh, good, get good counseling. 
sit down and have some good counseling to truly know each other. Just going out and eating Chinese and watching movies, you don't know them. Get some good counseling. I would say the same thing to you about a church relationship. It's serious. It's like a marriage. I want you to know who we are. So we do a class called Grace For You. And it's starting January 27th. So if you wanted to say, hey, I'll start by checking out Grace Fellowship. Is this, is this where God would have me? You can get online and sign up. Sunday night, January 27th at our Fort Thomas campus, five to nine. We will tell you who we are, what we believe, why we do certain things, why there's other things we don't do. And you're saying, well, other churches do blah, blah, blah. Why doesn't Grace Fellowship? You'll find out. You'll find out who we are and what we believe God's called us to do specifically as a local church and then make an informed, prayerful decision. Should I join here? And like I said, it won't hurt my feelings if we see numbers drop only because Christians said, I've got to commit somewhere and I can't do it here, so I'm gonna find where I can. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, our savior. Thank you for the church, the bride of Christ. Oh God, I pray that you would do in and through us all that you designed to accomplish through your church for better or worse, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in riches, that we wouldn't be able to say, oh, every season was fun, but we would say as we look over our shoulder, oh my goodness, less of me, more of Jesus, I have been changed by this journey more into the image of Christ. Oh God, do your good work in growing us and and conforming us to the image of your son. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.